In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. Happy Ascension Day. This is the feast of Christ's ascension to God's right hand. We believe in Jesus Christ, we say in both the apostles and Nicene creeds, who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We just read two different uh, descriptions, both by the same author, by St. Luke, of Jesus' ascension into heaven. But what, what does it mean? What, what actually happened at the ascension, and what does that mean for us? Um, Reverend Father Peter Tepper, uh, my esteemed colleague who never passes up a chance to tell a joke, said to me this week, Josh, you know, you, you've heard of Jesus's I am statements, right? In the gospel, like I, I am the good shepherd and I am the door of the sheep and I am the light of the world. Are you with me? And um, there are actually seven of those. Peter said, no, 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 there are actually eight. In Jesus's ascension, he says, I'm out of here. My daughter Daphne, a couple years ago, um, when she was, she was a little bit smaller and we were trying to talk to her about Jesus and, you know, where is Jesus? Uh, um, well, he's in heaven. Well, where is Jesus? Well, he's in your heart. We, we kept, we tried whatever we could. So one night, Daphne, before bed, um, pulls open her pajama shirt, looks down at her heart and says, night, night, Jesus. I love you. Where is Jesus? Like, where is he right now? Uh, is he gone? Is he out of here? Is he absent? Is he distant? Is he far away? Where, what, what's, where is heaven? If that's where he's seated at God's right hand, what does that mean? Bishop Robert Barron, who's a Roman Catholic bishop and um, has a great online ministry called Word on Fire, um, just a fascinating thinker and communicator. Bishop Barron points out that we really, we misunderstand the ascension when we imagine Jesus like, floating up, 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 up and away, physically and further, like floating away up into the skies or something. He says, that's a misunderstanding of how the scriptures talk about heaven because heaven is not somewhere way up there, higher than you can see. Heaven is instead the realm of God. Heaven is where God is. The, the only word Bishop Barron can come up with is it's God's dimension. And in fact, heaven isn't, it's not bound to a physical location at all. It's all around us. If we could only see it, it's like heaven is hidden behind a veil. You might have heard um, someone mention that in a, in a sacramental moment, like in a wedding, at communion, and other moments of baptism. It's almost like we're in a thin place where the line between heaven and earth, the veil, is so thin you can almost touch it. Heaven is God's dimension. And when Jesus came to earth, to our dimension, he united God's realm and our realm. I quoted a Roman Catholic. Here's an Eastern Orthodox guy. This old country guy in, uh, in near Knoxville, Tennessee, has a great podcast also. His name is Father Stephen Freeman. And he talks about how, listen, heaven, earth, and hell, we do not live in a three-story universe. It's not like we're on the main floor God and the angels and the saints are on the top floor and you can hear them like walking around, creaking the hardwood floors above your head and hell is like in the basement. He says, no, that's not the way the scriptures depict heaven at all. He says, we live in a one-story universe. 
Same idea as Bishop Barron. We live in a one-story universe. Heaven is all around us if we could see it. It makes me think of the psalmist in Psalm 139 who says, where can I go then from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you're there. If I make my, the grave my bed, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. So what do we mean when we say Jesus ascended? Because here's my main point. He didn't go far away. In his ascension, Jesus Christ came closer to us than at any time before. Here's the main point. In Christ's ascension, he came closer. He came closer. And he did so in two ways. The first is he finished the story of humanity. I'll explain what I mean in a minute. The second is he filled everything with himself. So Christ came closer in his ascension by finishing the human story and filling all things with himself. Let's explore these ideas. First, he finished the story. What do I mean by Christ finished the story? Remember, there's a story of God and humanity that begins in Genesis 1. It, it ends, it rather continues, and it begins anew rather in Revelation but what Jesus came to do has everything to do with this, this epic story of God and his relationship with humanity. We were intimately connected in the beginning in the garden. We fell away in our sin. And what Jesus came to do is restore that connection. In fact, to make it even better than it was before. Jesus finishes the story. Let me explain with the story. Mindy and I, my wife had friends over a couple years ago. They may be in this room. I can't see them in the back, perhaps. They were kind of, uh, they're kind of foodies. They like food a lot. They're, um, they're good at cooking. Um, and we served them beets. Now, I'm not talking about Cracker Barrel beets, okay? I love Cracker Barrel beets. I'm talking about like beets from the ravenous pig in Winter Park. You know what I mean? Beets with goat cheese and parsley. And the plate, the platter that, that we had prepared these beets on, it was, it was beautiful. And the colors were all there. Deep reds sprinkled with white and green parsley. So our friends came and I mean, I was just thinking, man, this guy is going to love these beets. I, I'm so proud, right? He tastes the, he can't wait to taste the beets. He gets there, he tastes the beets and he said, Josh and Mindy, I think that you forgot to cook the beets. Well, we had, in fact, forgotten to cook the beets, but we, we, didn't, we didn't know that. I mean, but everything about that plate, that dish was, it was all there, except for one thing. We, we didn't finish the deal. We did not close the deal. We forgot the one most important essential piece of the dish to actually cook the beets. Rose said to me earlier today, Deacon Rose, Josh, I heard something I've never heard before at church, which is that Jesus cooked the beets. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. Jesus cooked the beets. In Christ's ascension, God put the necessary, essential finishing touch on the masterpiece that he called humanity in Genesis 1. He completed the human project. He, think of it this way, he put humanity back together. At Christmas, he descended. And why did he descend? Because he wanted to take on our humanity. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to redeem our humanity at the cross and in his empty tomb. But he didn't stop there. He finishes the story. He ascends to heaven 
with our humanity in tow and he puts our humanity at the right hand of God where we belonged all the time. He descended so that he could ascend. He cooked the beets. He finished the story. I also just want to throw this out as a, by way of illustration. I may miss half the room, but I remember a wonderful game I loved to play the most when I was a kid at youth group. It was called Capture the Flag. And we would have two flags, one at the end of the, the, this big field or whatever. And that was our team's flag over there. There was a line in the middle. The other team's flag was over there. And the whole point was to go and invade the enemy's territory and get the flag, but not just get the flag, you have to bring the flag back over the line. You have to bring it home. Jesus brought humanity home. At the cross in the empty tomb, he captures us, he defeats our enemy, and then he brings us all the way back across the line where we belong. Jesus cooked the beets. Now, how does, what does this mean for us? Like, why is that good news? Because, and I want to use Paul in Romans 8, because it gives us a future hope. He's gone to prepare a place for us and a present comfort. All of this kind of gets summarized in Romans 8 when Paul says this, and I'm using Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. It's absolutely lovely. Paul writes, who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of us, God's chosen. Who would dare even to point a finger at us? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think that anyone is gonna be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst of the sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, not living or dead, not angelic or demonic, not today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love. And we would say, because now Jesus has placed us right beside God in his realm called heaven. One quote I cannot skip is, because I've quoted a Catholic and an Orthodox, here's a reformer, John Calvin, on the ascension. He puts it this way. Since Jesus has gone up there and is in heaven for us, let us note that we need not fear to be in this world. It's true that we're subject to so much misery that our condition is pitiable, but at that we need neither be astonished nor confine our attention to ourselves. Thus we look to Jesus who is already in heaven and we say, although I am weak, there is Jesus Christ who is powerful enough to make me stand upright. Although I am feeble, there is Jesus Christ, who is my strength. Although I'm full of miseries, there is Jesus Christ in immortal glory, and what he has will sometime be given to me, and I shall partake of all his benefits at the right hand of the Father. That's amazing. Jesus finished the story. Here's the second way he came closer in his ascension. He didn't go far away. He came near. He fills all things. Because he went away, he then sends the Spirit, and by his Spirit, he fills all things. This is how he said it in uh, John's Gospel. 
I tell you the truth, disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus comes closer. We pray it actually, and one of the, the two prayers for this day in the Book of Common Prayer both come from two of the oldest liturgical books we have. I, I don't know how the editors decided to include them both, but they're awesome. And the one that we prayed, uh, that Dean Kidd prayed a minute ago is, is different from this one, which highlights the way Jesus fills all things. The prayer goes like this. Almighty God, whose blessed Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things, mercifully give us faith to perceive according to his promise that he abides with his church on earth even to the end of the ages. What does it mean that Jesus fills all things? Here's another uh, illustration perhaps to help us get on board with this idea. Archbishop Rowan Williams, a number of years ago in his sermon on the ascension, describes it like this. It's like when you first wake up in the morning and you turn on the light, that lamp in the corner of the room, and it's so bright that all you can do in the morning, because your eyes are so, you know, used to the darkness, is like you're blinded by the light. You stare at the, the lamp, like turn it off, right? Who, who turned the lights on? But after a few minutes, you get used to the light, and suddenly you're not looking at the lamp in the corner of the room anymore. You're looking at all the other things around the room that the light has now enlightened for you. The light in the corner of the room that was so blinding initially has become so pervasive that it's opened up your sight, your visibility to everything around you. Rowan says the resurrection of Jesus is like when the lights come on. It's blinding. It's disorienting. It's all we can see. But it's in his ascension that we begin to see by that light the whole world. His light has suddenly permeated everything. It's no longer in just one place. He fills all things. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. He lights all these things up not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under Christ's feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In his ascension, Christ came closer than at Christmas, closer than at the cross to us, closer to us even than he was when he conquered death in the empty tomb. He came even closer, still closer. He fills all things and he puts us right beside God at God's right hand. How do we apply this beautiful doctrine to our lives? By the way, ascension falls on a Thursday and so we, um, we haven't always celebrated the Feast of Ascension um, like we're doing today. It's really wonderful because it's such an essential part of Jesus' story and it's for some reason easy to overlook. What does this mean for us? It means in closing that you don't have a long distance relationship with God. You know that, right? 
you don't have a long distance relationship with God. I wish we could go around and tell stories about those of us who have been in a long distance relationship. I'm sure some would share about letters that they had to wait days or maybe weeks for. Some would share about emails when email first came out at like in Sleepless in Seattle, right? Some would share now about Zoom calls or, or FaceTime or whatever. Long distance relationships are not fun. Can I just, can I share that with you? Because you know what happens in long distance relationships is after about three hours, because you, you talk that long because you want to feel close to this person who doesn't live in the same place. You keep talking, but after about three hours, you've discussed all the content you can possibly discuss since you don't live in the same place. So what do you do? You pick an argument, right? Because that's how you keep the conversation going. And then things just go downhill from there. Long distance relationships are full of tension and separation and distance. No matter how close you want to feel, this is not the Christian's relationship with God. Instead, it's way more like Daphne. Night, night, Jesus. I love you. And how is it that way? Because he has ascended to God's realm and now pervades everything around us. We particularly find and experience the presence of Jesus in certain ways. And this is sort of like an apologetic, why come to church? Why, does it, why, why join us online? Why be a part in any way connected to God's people on earth? Because at church, uh, in a few different ways specifically, God has promised to meet us here in the presence of Jesus. We talk about the presence of Jesus like it's nothing. We call it body and blood. This is his body, his presence. In fact, you and me, we are the body of Jesus. You are surrounded by Jesus today, surrounded by Jesus. Even this is why we stand up for the gospel and why we make the sign of the cross like Jesus, may your words be in my mind, on my lips, in my heart. We stand up because it's like Jesus himself is about to talk to us. He is, and so we're gonna stand up and, yes, Jesus, speak to me. I'm listening, right? In his word, in the sacrament, in his body, the church, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. In his ascension, he came closer to us than at Christmas, closer than the cross, closer than the empty tomb. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for your work on our behalf. Amen.